Welcome to Business Drivers, the podcast dedicated to helping you be a more effective digital leader. Business Drivers is presented by Farron, and I'm your host, Jim Keen. On each episode of Business Drivers, we connect you to leaders and ideas that unlock new growth, both professional and personal. And today, our guest is Leilani Bloomquist, an independent consultant who focuses on digital transformation, product team leadership, and innovation. Leilani's sort of a quadruple threat. She knows how to drive innovation through human-centered design. She knows product development and product management and how to lead product teams. She also knows how to lead change in an org that is happening fast, and she's seen the good and bad of digital transformation from both sides. I really appreciated this talk, the clarity of Leilani's thinking, the empathy and intelligence she brings to her work shouldn't be surprising. She's got a lot of work in education and healthcare and financial services, all industries that require patience, but an ability to drive things forward. She's also got unique insights into doing transformational product work in those highly regulated industries like healthcare and financial services. I think you'll find she's got a cool ability to help teams be in two places at once, the practical reality of now and the optimistic opportunity of the future. And as someone that has a love-hate relationship with jargon, I really liked her points on mentorship, helping teams finding common language to cut through that fog of jargon, and how to help everyone feel like they've got a role in driving innovation forward. Hope you love this talk with Leilani as much as I did. So Leilani... How do you explain the work that you're doing today when you talk to people about your work? I am a digital transformation consultant. And quite candidly, that means different things to different organizations and leaders and teams. And oftentimes it's dependent on where they're at in that transformation journey and overall maturity. Oftentimes there is a need for starting at that high level strategic uh, alignment to make sure that we're looking at solving the right problems and identifying what are the gaps that we need to solve for when it comes to people or tech or processes. Within that transformation effort, there's almost always a focus on product teams as well, whether that's maturing product teams or looking at standing up digital product teams to be able to start to deliver in a more nimble, agile, iterative manner. Um, to show value sooner in those journeys, because those journeys, one, they're never done, and two, they are really long incremental journeys. So the sooner we can start to have teams structured and set up and delivering value, the better for everyone involved. And then depending on if they've been doing this for a little while and want to stretch into more of the innovation side, sometimes that transformation is also looking at how to bring more innovation um, whether it's thought processes, tools, processes, teams, products into the organization. So transformation can mean a lot of different uh, things to different companies. Um, but I have the pleasure of, of working with leadership across my different clients to help understand where they're at in that journey. And then we begin to build the plan and, and the strategy. And, and, it, and sometimes, it's, again, it's about team building from there. That's great. That's a great overview. I'm going to do, I'm going to ask for a little free consulting when, when you're at a party or, you know, you're in traveling or something and somebody says, so Leilani, what do you do? What's your short answer for what you do? Great question. My shortest answer is I work in digital. Um, and it's usually in that early phases of planning, right? Helping us understand what we're, what problems we're looking at solving for is the simplest answer I can give. And then of course, you know, depending on who I'm talking to, whether it's my mom and my aunties and grandmas, <laughs> those yeah. conversations can go in a lot of different directions. 
I like your answer better than the one I give. I, I typically just say uh, we're in management consulting and, and I like yours better. So that sounds like a really cool job. Is this what you went to school for? Is this what you thought you'd be doing when you, when you went to school? Like, how, Tell me the story of how you got here. I had a very non-linear journey, both with my career, which I think most people my age in digital would probably say something very similar, as well as with my education. In early education, I actually started off pre-med and about three years in decided that was not the direction that I wanted to go was into the medical profession and ended up taking a little bit of a pause and found myself in more project management type of roles and event coordinating with always that theme of project management throughout. And a little further into my journey, when I chose to go back to school for business management and marketing, I found my way into digital. And at that point in time, I just realized that this is where I wanted to spend my time. I enjoyed the speed and the pace. I love the tools and the technology I was absolutely fascinated at the intersection of like the business and the marketing and the IT teams coming together to make really incredible consumer experiences. And from there, I continued on with my MBA and some other, you know, graduate certificate programs. So have that business and in marketing foundation, but have just um, really, truly enjoyed the last, you know, 15 plus years in the digital space. Uh, and I'm excited to stay here. <laughs> You know, as we've talked over the years a little bit about the work that you do and how it's perhaps evolved as the field has evolved, in my head, I see you or I think of you as a, a leader leader first, but somebody that has built a great track record, both in product and in innovation. And then the kicker is that you, you've worked in highly regulated industries, which feels like a really important mix. If you look at the world of your experience with product leadership, what's essential from your perspective to getting the product right? Like when you think about how do I make sure that the team that I'm leading is getting the right product, what, what's really essential there for you in your work? You'll hear me commonly say that the technology is generally the easiest piece of any problem that we're looking at solving. It's really the people in the process, right? And it's the relationships. So how are we ensuring that we're cultivating the right environments for teams to be able to build that trust and connectedness and really lean into that methodology of learning together and winning together and failing together as that one unified cross-functional team. Mm -hmm. And that usually comes with the people piece first and foremost. And uh, I have had the opportunity to work across the three highest regulated industries that we have here in the U.S. between healthcare and financial services and higher education. And one really critical component of all really successful product teams is how they approach that strategic partnership with their legal, regulatory, and compliance teams. And of course, you need a solid cross-functional product team with the engineers and the UX and, and keeping the consumers at the, at the heart of everything that you're doing. But in addition to keeping themselves customer-focused or customer-obsessed, depending on the team, they might say it a little bit differently, it's really looking at the processes and who is on that cross-functional team, not just at the end to check a box and say yay or nay, give you the thumbs up and, and you're good or you're actually you get the thumbs down and unfortunately can't release your feature or functionality or marketing campaign but it's looking at the how 
how do you integrate those teams and truly integrate them in the process from the beginning? And oftentimes we found that we have some of the most insightful, creative ideas coming from some of those resources that are oftentimes thought of as simply um, the group or the individual that says yes or no at the end of the process before you actually get um, to bring the product to market and actually get the continued consumer feedback and validation. So how do you build that sense of team that enables or frees up people or makes them feel comfortable bringing their ideas or their you know, identifying the right kind of product opportunities. Like how, how do you build that sense of, Hey, we're all smarter together here. Depending on, again, the maturity overall, right. Do we, do we already have personas? Have we already done journey mapping? Empathy mapping is really, really powerful. If teams haven't taken the time to do that, it's really beneficial to bring those cross-functional teams together. And, and when I'm saying cross-functional, that is it, you get really thoughtful, creative ideas from your engineers you bring your UX folks together, which of course our UX researchers are on the cusp of some of those ideas and consumer feedback loops, bringing the business to the table. Oftentimes the business are the ones helping, you know, fund those product teams. And they have a lot of really thoughtful insights to bring to the table. And then also making sure that those legal regulatory and compliance team members are part of that um, journey mapping or empathy mapping in the beginning. And it's making sure that you're actually bringing in the right language to those sessions as well. And so as we're bringing our curious minds forward, right? Acting more childlike and asking more of the broad-based questions of how might we, right? How might we um, address this question or how might we solve this problem? You know, we've if you've already done some consumer feedback and you understand their pain points during their experience or engagement with you, or maybe a little bit more mature and you've heard some feedback and have some ideas on maybe some more thoughtful and innovative features and functionality to release, allowing those cross-functional teams together in those working sessions and bringing in new language. So you're not asking, can we, which is just yeah. a straightforward yes or no, but it's a, how might we, how might we solve these problems? It starts to establish really clear roles and responsibilities on how you want them to show up as strategic partners throughout the whole process. And you'll find that you generally both build that trust, elements of more psychological safety. The more we use the yes and, right? Like, yeah. yes, that's a great idea. And let's unpack it or build it on that together. And also the level of investment that the team members have as they continue to progress together usually results in really high performing teams. And it doesn't mean that they're going to get everything right. It just means that when things go wrong, and they will, right, you're going to have issues with your build or your production launches, but the way that they show up to solve those problems together, the joint accountability and the collaboration on fixing issues as they arise as well is usually um, the definition, right, of the high-performing team versus some of the teams that just don't have those same elements within. Mm. I, I imagine that when you're working through solution development or solution ideation or identifying opportunities. And you've got the legal, the quality, the regulatory folks in the room that their perspective might not immediately be an openness to opportunity and experimentation. So any tricks or methods or tools that you use to sort of set those conditions well for the folks that are designed in a lot of ways to say no? 
depending on the individual and their exposure, right, to working with agile product teams, it can be really beneficial to have one-on-ones with them to help mm-hmm. them understand this is what we're going to be doing in these working sessions. This is how we need every person to show up. Know that we're going to be exploring feasibility at a later date, right? But this session is meant to think big and broad to really break all of the rules, right? And it doesn't mean that we're going to throw out the the laws and that both protect our consumers and ourselves. It just means that there's a different role and responsibility depending on where they are. And I think oftentimes that can be freeing because everyone knows how to show up and actually participate in those working sessions. In one of my previous teams uh, that I was leading, we started to bring our legal and regulatory members to daily stand up so they could hear the conversations that happened yeah. three days a week. We knew it was a capacity piece. And then I had one-on-ones with them and brought in key members of my team. And as we continued to work on how to ask those questions and based on their responses, continue to push or change the language that we're using, right? To, to get them to engage with us in a way of being a part of the creative problem solving or giving us the guardrails on how we could do things maybe a little bit differently, but still accomplish what we needed to yep. within compliance guardrails as well. That relationship just gradually evolved. And so it will take time. However, that time generally pays off at the end of the process when you're getting ready to release that feature or that functionality or that campaign or all of the above. And you have had that core team lockstep with you all along the way. At that point, it really does just become a final box to check with their blessing before it actually gets released. Versus if you do just the opposite, right? Kind of keep them to the side because you don't want to get a no (laughs) and you wait till the very end to bring them up to speed. One, it can be really confusing and actually derail the entire process or timeline or launch because they don't have the context. They don't understand the why. They don't clearly understand the problem or opportunity at hand. And you're going to spend more time unpacking that with the high pressure of the release (laughs) versus investing that time and energy up front. And when you do that time and energy investment up front, not only are you building those those, uh, bridges across your teams, you're also allowing them to help advocate for what you're doing and the way you're working within their team and function and organization, because it does set them up to be strategic partners just as versus just, you know, someone that says yay or nay at the end of the process. And that just doesn't feel good to anyone. One, the pressure is very different Two, the collaboration is just incredibly different. And three, oftentimes they can be the teams that are avoided until, you know, absolutely last minute, or it can no longer be avoided (laughs) that they have to engage. And I know for myself personally, that would just feel horrible to be in that position versus being a thoughtful partner that's been included along the way and has had the opportunity to share my voice and ideas. Yeah. Boy, I love that bias towards building relationships up front and early. That just is, that seems so smart. I got super lucky when I was working at a large CPG because one of the folks in the legal department pulled me aside as we were getting going on a project and said, um, 
let's talk through what the problems might be now before we get going. And that kind of kicked off a conversation. And the way that he positioned it, he said, when we're at our best, we help develop solutions and avoid problems. When we're, and this is the legal guy. He said, we like being creative problem solvers. And he said, when we're at the worst for everybody is when it's late in the project and we have to say no because somebody came up with something that's going to be a problem. And so what it, it just confirms to me, and when you were talking about it, it just sort of made it make sense to me that if you engage those teams as humans that are trying to do a job as well as they possibly can, they all want to be creative problem solvers. Nobody wants to be on the no patrol. So um, I love that. That totally makes sense. Yeah. In, in highly regulated industries, I found that it's not as common for them to have the opportunity to truly be strategic partners. You'll also find that as you're building out your business cases to continue to invest in building product teams, one thing that you may want to keep top of, top of mind is whether you're a transformation leader or a product leader or just a leader leader, a people leader, is to ensure that you're helping to advocate for um, staff members' time and capacity and or growth on their teams as well, because you know how you need them to show up to be successful within your product teams or within your transformation work stream. And that does take their time and effort and energy to be able to carve out capacity to show up in the way that everyone wants to. Mm. And so the other element that I would just say, keep top of mind, you may not have direct control over the size of their team or um, the, the pace at, at which they grow, but keeping them top of mind as you're building out those business cases and building in their capacity and or uh, funding for additional yep. resources, if you need them to show up differently can also start to build that bridge at the high level leadership level, right? Because you're advocating and understanding some of the problems that they're also trying to solve for. And most of the time it's capacity, right? Yeah. <laughs> capacity is not a unique uh, problem just for product teams to solve. That's great. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is that a lot of the product leaders that we talk to get into their role through the technical world. They start maybe as a software engineer or a designer, move into either a project manager role or product owner role, and eventually kind of level up to product leader. When I think of your experience, I hope this is right, but when I think of your experience, you're coming at it from both business leadership and innovation in a marketing perspective into the role of product. What do you wish more product leaders understood about the business strategies that that product is supposed to drive? I think at times you can sense a little bit of a tension if the product owners aren't speaking the language of business. And, and you can see this sometimes in the UX space as well as the product space. At the end of the day, we all, every company has business goals, right? I mean, they need goals to make revenue, to continue to fund our teams and the, and the great work that we get to do together, the, the really fun and thoughtful work. We need to make sure that we're bridging the gaps of actually speaking the same language because when the business 
and or marketing teams. Sometimes you even find if, if a product team skews a little bit too heavily IT, sometimes the language that's used can feel like it's a little bit of a bridge to gap, even or a gap, even with marketing teams and yep. or business teams. Um, and usually that comes down to how well that we understand the words that we're using and how those words are interpreted in different departments. And so uh, I find that the most successful are actually really great translators. They're able to translate the language of business and marketing and IT to more um, common goals, common opportunities, common mm -hmm. problems, and really unify that language that's utilized across. So everyone feels heard and validated. They feel understood. And they also feel that there's really solid alignment there. Um, and so... If there is a gap, it could be that truly they don't understand the role in, in them delivering some of those business goals or marketing goals, um, or sometimes it's just language, language that's used. And so being really thoughtful of asking those clarifying questions, if one of your business leaders continues to push on a certain area, <laughs> ask for some validation or clarification. When you say this, do you mean this, right? Um, and it just allows for them again to feel seen and heard and understood and to make sure that we're using that common language throughout. Um, if it's too IT and skewed too technical, oftentimes the default is using really technical language. Mm -hmm. And that just isn't as easily translated when you get um, one level out into marketing and then another level out into the business segments as well. That's a really eloquent answer. You, you mentioned the role of translator, you know, when it's, when it's done well, that work of translating the language, is that something you can teach? You know, I know you do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of guiding other leaders. How do you teach that skill around translating from one side to another? I do find that there's opportunities just to coach and mentor your teams, whether it's an official or unofficial, you know, opportunity to do so. If you're really self-motivated, you could have product leaders that I would recommend getting mentors in the business segments, actually have like ask for mentors that are outside of your organization and your group. So you can start to develop that relationship one-on-one -on -one yourself. You know, again, that's different individuals are going to have different takes and approaches overall. I have a joke that I've told my teams for years that I've worked with and now actually found a pair of tennis shoes that has the, the saying on them, but hashtag words matter. Right. And so it's using the actual words, both accurately and mm -hmm. also continuing to speak that same unified language and making sure that the team is using that across everything that we do, whether it's in sprint retro retrospectives, whether it's in that early strategy phases, whether it's, uh, you know, readouts of metrics and reports that the analytics team, you know, is bringing forward or the product teams are bringing forward. Um, and it really does make a difference when you're using that unified language, but more often than not, the way that I've approached it personally is just through coaching and feedback. Sometimes it's also just modeling it, right? If I feel like I'm observing something that's starting to swirl, just asking, I'm hearing X, do you mean Y, right? Mm. Not being afraid to ask that clarifying question in the moment. And I really encourage teams to do that as much as possible. So you avoid that back channel dialogue that can kick up after meetings or working sessions, 
you know, as much as you can quiet that down and build that dialogue within the session. Cause if one or two people have those questions, more people in the room have the same question yeah. that you have. Um, so I think there's probably not just a one track approach to it. It's going to be modeling, coaching on the spot, coaching more formal. And then I really encourage people to stay connected outside of their organization and across different, um, areas so they can begin to learn the different languages or words or hot buttons that different segments or business functions are really keeping an eye on, right? Normally there's those couple elements that are really important to different groups or stakeholders that you're working with. And so being really thoughtful and mindful of that can, can really help. And some HR departments will have formal programs. A lot of them don't, and that's okay. I would still encourage product both product owners and product leaders to just ask for those informal relationships on their own. As you were describing the mentoring, I was thinking back to my own experience. I've always been focused on the digital space and I've been lucky enough to have some formal and some informal mentors along the way. And there are a couple situations that I had that you made me think of. One was when I was working in a financial services business, my boss pulled me aside and said, I can see that you're trying to demonstrate domain expertise, but there are a lot of times when people don't understand what you're saying. They said, I think you're, you're, you're trying to make a point, but I don't think people are getting it because they, they don't know what you're talking about. And, and what he was getting at was like, you're, the language you're using sounds good to you, but your jargon is a separator and you should find common language that brings everything together. And then the other one was when I was at General Mills, my boss at General Mills was really, really, really strong. And his focus was on keeping it as simple as you could possibly keep it. Keep it as simple as you could possibly keep it. And it, his, his mantra yeah. was simplify, simplify, simplify. And it used to annoy me because it's like, well, this is actually kind of hard. And he said, your job is to translate it into simple terms. It hurt hearing that, but it was also such a relief to know that there was a path out of it. Well, and I've also found over the years that technology acronyms oftentimes actually mean something totally different depending on what vertical or market you're working with. So you think you're talking about a content management platform <laughs> or other things, right? And they're interpreting those acronyms as something completely different in those meetings. And so as much as you can, you know, step away from acronyms, use simple language, ask clarifying questions, especially, I mean, most of us are remote at this point in time, which is totally fine encourage people to turn on their cameras when they have their Zoom or Teams or, you know, WebEx meetings. Because if you start to see that glazed over or confused look, like pause, pause and say, I think there's some questions. Can I be more clear? Or what questions do you have? Or, you know, just call out people by name. And, and I encourage, you know, individuals to do that as well. Jim, you look like you have something to, on your mind. Can you share more? Yeah. <laughs> and again, pause because we get so embedded in the tools and the tech and the processes that we work with in day in and day out. Sometimes we just don't realize how we're not doing a great job of communicating when you're outside of your immediate group or product team or, um, you know, leadership group as well. I, I really like that 
emphasis on making an effort to make sure you're being understood or making sure that you're trying to pull people in that might not be fully engaged and just sort of assume that it's your role to make sure that all the voices are being heard. That's a, a great reminder. So you, you've got such a good track record, both in innovation and then delivering the product. How as somebody that can do both, how do you balance what I would assume is a strong desire to pursue innovation all the time with the realities of like, sometimes the stuff just needs to get delivered. I would say from an innovation standpoint, you can start to build a foundation of an innovative mindset within product teams that might be, and or organizations that might be at the place of just needing to build a strong foundation. And so you don't have to have an innovation lab or, you know, a free thinking Friday on your teams just to think big and wild and hairy, which is fantastic if you do either, you know, there's, I'm sure pros and cons of, of a lot of different approaches with organizations, but starting to bring just that innovative mindset to the table can be really impactful, allowing time for some divergent thinking, just that really big like creative thinking and ideation. And maybe that's once a quarter or once every six to 12 months, you can start to slowly lay that foundation towards let's bring more of some of those uh, foundational practices in, even if the organization or team isn't at the point where they have built a solid, really high-performing product, and now they're really wanting to lead in, in, in more of the innovation lens. And so I think there's always opportunities to test, always opportunities to push the team to think a little bit differently or more MVP in their approaches, which, which are both solid for product and also for innovation as well. And so my advice is just to not boil the ocean and to also be realistic about where you're at. Where are you at from a team perspective? Where are you at from an organizational perspective? You know, having an innovation lab can be really fantastic, but if the organization is not set up from a capacity or a team or a funding perspective to be able to take some of those innovative ideas that are showing promise and begin to actually take those to market and test them, you know, it's, it's going to probably die on the vine. And so having a little bit of the dose of reality as you're looking at where innovation can start to play a role, some of it's really just the mindset and some of those practices. And you can bring really thoughtful, insightful ideas and opportunities forward that can be highly impactful to your organization, whether it's from an organizational efficiency or process standpoint, innovation isn't always the sexiest new gadget that came out in the tech world. Sometimes yeah. you can innovate just on your own internal processes and you can find huge savings and more capacity to take on more exciting work, do different things, be more thoughtful about how you're utilizing your team resources with some of those practices. I like the way that you describe that. It, it sort of helps me think through the challenge of a product leader who has to live in two places at once. She's got to be thinking about what's practical and realistic and doable and desirable right now, but also how do we keep ourselves oriented towards unlocking some growth in the future if we're open to it? So that's the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts stuff. What is 
what keeps you excited about the work that you're doing now? Like when you think about the best days, what are those things that you're doing where you think like, oh yeah, this is a great thing that I'm doing? <laughs> I love facilitation. I find that there is nothing better than getting a group together, whether virtually or in person, since we're starting to step back into some of the in-person as well, um, with whiteboards and sticky notes. And that can be you know, focused on strategic planning and starting in some of those early phases, or it can be taking a team down, you know, some innovation type of workshop or practice more than anything. It's, it's the human connection. Mm. And within almost every one of those sessions, you have those moments where you can feel the energy flip within even the virtual rooms or in the room themselves and you see some of those spark moments bubbling up uh, and those connections being made between the individuals in the room. And so that to me, thankfully my job allows facilitation in a lot of different ways and shapes and forms throughout the work that I do. But at the core of it, it's the human connection. It's actually uh, helping most people and teams and groups and leaders realize that at the end of the day, we're generally more connected and aligned than we realize. And we are really out like fundamentally better together. So those moments where we can carve out and prioritize time as leaders and as teams and as organizations, um, you do end up having those little magical moments, even if they're just in half day workshops. And, and that to me is very, um, uh, is an element that just ignites more passion for what I do. And I'm just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to work with clients and partners to be able to do what I love. If you get through the work of planning and facilitating and delivering the workshop and it goes the right way, the feeling that you get coming out of that is almost like you pulled off a great performance on stage. You know, you could, when you can feel the creativity happening in the room, I've been fortunate over the years to work with some super pros in my time. And there are a couple of experiences where I remember that feeling of coming out of the room, like, holy cow, we did it. The, yes. You know, they actually, they designed what they needed to design. It happened. Wow. That was awesome. That was great. Yeah. One of the most memorable facilitation moments that I had is we were hosting a makeathon and there was multiple teams uh, and they were challenged at solving the same problem. And there was one group that was really struggling to find alignment within their group and kind of sticking in there and leaning into that hard part of the process and showing up without judgment and kind of doing some light coaching, but more than anything, facilitating, you know, the discussion between them um, by the end of the session, and it was a multi-day session where then the teams all presented. When that group in particular came together on the final day to present, they stood up there with the most unified energy. And to me, that was a moment unto itself that I was so incredibly proud of all of them showing up authentically, really leaning into the uncomfortable conversations, working through it as a group, and you could see it. They were just beaming. And whether their, their uh, proposal was chosen or not at that point really didn't matter because we had truly impacted their way of working and how they showed up as a cross-functional team. And that's something that we knew that they were going to take forward, regardless of whether or not their idea was chosen at the end of it. And so 
Um, it's not always those shiny moments. <laughs> those are great too. Um, but sometimes it's actually the pro the progress that's made when you're in the messy middle and what actually happens when you lean into those moments can be just really impactful and profound. Oh, that's a great reminder. You've got so much on your plate and you are building such a broad and deep toolbox of leadership skills. How do you stay up to speed? Like, what are you doing to kind of keep your own edge sharp? Gosh, if there could be a few more hours in a day, <laughs> that would be great. There's always so many fantastic podcasts and books and individuals. Um, what I've found is I've just continued to focus on building my professional network. I enjoy good books and podcasts, whether I'm, you know, on a morning walk or on a commute, and I'll always pull up some, some really great tools and resources there. But more often than not, I find I learn even more insightful tools or tips or tricks from peers and individuals that I have the pleasure of connecting with across this industry. And so I am present on LinkedIn. I think that there's some really fantastic product and, and innovation and sprint leaders that post a lot of really thoughtful and insightful content. And as much as possible, I just also try to facilitate opportunities to bring some of those peers and groups together, whether it's taking a walk together or taking a walk or virtual coffee one-on-one. -on -one. one of my biggest tips that I'll share is we've all been sitting at our desks in our homes for two and a half years. And so I'll actually invite people to meet up either for a virtual walk or an in-person walk, and we'll get some steps in our movement in our day. And so I would encourage people just to be bold. If there's people that you're even seeing posting online and they're sharing thoughtful content that resonates with you or that you're interested in, um, reach out, share what's resonating and ask them for a connection. I more recently connected with an innovation leader from Digital Fast Forward, and she and I just had such an incredible connection, both personally and professionally, from a random interaction on LinkedIn, where we took yeah. that interaction offline. And I have, you know, connected with her multiple times, and we're, we've now set up regular touch bases. And so I think you can find your community and your tribe and those people that will both help continue to hone your craft and, and give you insightful content and tips, both within our local community, which we have a lot of really talented leaders here in the Twin City Metro, but I would also encourage people to look a little bit more broad because our, those walls have just continued to be broken down over the last couple of years. Well, I love what you just said for a lot of reasons, but the lesson I'm taking away is to not be shy about reaching out and trying to make that connection. I, to your point, we've all been kind of overwhelmed with Zoom. We're all probably sick of working in our home offices. And if somebody reaches out and says in a, in a legitimate, meaningful way, like, hey, let's connect. I'd, I'd love to hear what you're working on, which is different, by the way, than, hey, I want to sell you something. I, I just, I appreciate the model that you're setting in, in the sense of like, let's try to find some time together and just have a mm -hmm. legit, meaningful conversation. I, I just think that's great. So you mentioned books and podcasts. One of the things that I like to ask on this is what's a recommendation for a good book or podcast that you, that you share frequently? I would say that that actually changes pretty quickly depending on what I just happen to be consuming at that moment in time. There's a book, and for those that are trying to lean more into the creative or innovative space, 
that I would say you might find some lovely little takeaways out of is called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she, although she isn't a writer by trade and has some lovely books out there, the book is really focused on creating for the sake of creating and then also letting go of what happens beyond that. So allowing yourself to, whether it's to write or to podcast, or if you want to take up painting or baking or whatnot, um, but carving out spite that space and time for being creative. And honestly, my seven-year-old son is the best inspiration for that. He creates and his imagination is just vast at what he thinks of on a day-to-day basis. And I fundamentally think that as we get older and more emerged in our careers and our families and our friends and, you know, schedules get busy, most of us don't carve out time for creativity. And so that has actually been one of my goals for this year. And I found it to be really fulfilling and fruitful and also impactful in other areas of my life when I allow myself just to be vulnerable enough to create just for the sake of creating not for any end goal in mind, that would be my one piece of advice right now. And and I know it's not exactly tied to transformation or innovation or digital product, but, you know, as a leader and as an adult and parent and, or whether you're, you know, leading littles in your house or leading full teams at work, carving out time for creativity, I think is, is really impactful and important. I love that advice for a lot of reasons. So I got to ask, you don't have to show your painting or, you know, play the song you wrote, but what is sort of the medium that you're uh, experimenting in for your creativity? So I just um, started picking up some painting supplies and I'm really curious about playing with textures in paint. Um, and I have not painted since my 20s, which was a while ago, just a couple years ago. <laughs> and I've also found it really fun because my son has enjoyed that. And now he's, he's asking mom, can we paint together? And he loves to paint. I buy canvases for him all of the time, but it's really unique moments, both for the two of us. And it's also just one humbling (laughs) and also really good just to take away the judgment and to do it just for the sake of the process overall. So I have a big 25 gallon bucket of plaster that I've just recently picked up at Ace Hardware and some canvases that are calling for my next project. So <laughs> I, th- I think a year from now, we should get together your your group of people that you're mentoring uh, and we'll have a little bit of a, a gallery show or like an exhibition of all the creativity that's come <laughs> out of your coaching. As long as there's enough wine to go around, we will definitely be in there <laughs> together. <laughs> Well, Leilani, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I'm really energized and uh, I can't wait to try to put some of your, your thoughts in action over here. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fantastic discussion today. I appreciate you carving out the time and space to have me. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Business Drivers presented by Farron. Find us at hellofarron.com to learn more about the work we do, sign up for our newsletter, and find articles and resources to help you grow as a leader. Or find us on Twitter at hellofarron or on LinkedIn. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. It's the best way for us to grow our audience. We'd love to reach more people with the work that we're doing. And if you have ideas or advice or feedback or complaints, please reach out to us on Twitter or send us an email at bizdrivers at hellofarron.com. That's B-I-Z-D-R-I.
I-V-E-R-S at HelloFerrin.com. Until next time, this is Jim Keen saying thanks. Thanks.